right, well, uh, it's a privilege to be here tonight. Thank you so much, Pastor McMath, for uh, allowing us to at the Prophet's Chamber and being able to hear for the week. So we've enjoyed it and enjoyed being at the school this morning as well. It's funny because he mentioned having 30 uh, or so more that would come down with the family vacation. And a lot of those weren't just family members. My grandpa would say, we're going to do a family vacation. And he would have five or six other families from church say, great, we're going with you for vacation. So it was a large church vacation in the end. So family vacation slash church vacation. And uh, so good times on Red River. And I caught the tail end of that. Would have been in Argentina for most of those. And then I remember going to probably maybe two or three of them. Uh, before they stopped doing that. so But we're from Austin, Texas, Capital City Baptist Church, being sent out of there, and headed to Ecuador, which is Spanish for equator. It's right on, the equator goes right through Ecuador. It's interesting because it's on the equator, the center of gravity is so strong there that they don't have tornadoes or cyclones, just earthquakes. So I don't know which one's worth, cyclones or earthquakes. So, but we did get to go into the jungle and meet Minkaye. Minkaye, Dawe, and Kimo were three of the five men that were still alive. Minkaye died a year ago, but at the time when I went and visited, they were the three that were alive still uh, that killed those five missionaries. If you're familiar with the story of those five missionaries, they went into the jungle to go reach those natives. And the reason why was because the Shell Oil Company wanted to get the oil drilled out, but they had a problem in their eyes, and that was that the natives were in their way. So they said their solution was to eradicate the tribes, kill them off, and then they could make their money. So those missionaries said, hold off, give us a chance to talk to them, give them the gospel. So that's why they went in. They went in the jungle, and when they landed, if you read the book, the, the natives mistook them for people being unfriendly, and they killed them. Uh, but afterward, Nate Saint had a son named Steve Saint, and Steve Saint... He and his mom, they went back into the jungle, and he would have been four or five years old at the time. And Minkaye asked his mom and said, now that his dad is dead, who's going to teach him how to hunt and fish and to stay alive? And, and she told him, well... You killed his father, so you get to raise him and teach him all those things. So he did. And when he was about 15, 16 years old, Minkai told Stephen, you're old enough now, and according to my culture and tribe, you can kill me out of vengeance. And he said, no, Christ forgave you and I both of our sins. I ought to forgive you as well for killing my father. And we got to fly into that jungle area of the community. When we got out. They didn't know we were coming. The thing is, there they don't have phones. They don't just text you and let you know. You can't call and say, hey, we're coming in. They have radio, and that's it. So we flew in this little Cessna airplane. When we got out, we walked up into the village area. They just got the huts there, and it is remote out in the, the bush. So we walked back in toward the area, and when we got into the opening, there was the the old man there that was sitting, and they said, this is Minkai. So we walked up to him. He immediately started telling us in his language, I'm not that murderer I used to be. Jesus changed me. And he proceeded to give us the gospel, not knowing we were Christians as well. 
And after he gave us the gospel, we said, yes, we know, we are Christians as well. But we got to see how the gospel had changed those people and changed their lives, the effect of the gospel. But you know, another thing too is traveling through Ecuador. In 2017, my wife and I, we had our first missions trip there, a college trip to Ecuador. And that was the first time that the need and burden for Ecuador was laid on my heart. 2018, myself and three other guys, we went over to Ecuador to do a survey trip. We wanted to see the whole country, get a feel for it. Now, Ecuador is a small country, so it's possible to visit almost the entire country within two weeks. In the United States, you couldn't do that. It would take at least a year to do that. But Ecuador, you can travel most of the country. So we did, and we'd get out everywhere we could. We'd pass out tracks, we'd witness, we'd, we'd knock doors, and uh, went everywhere, really, the coast and the mountain region, the jungle region, but we didn't go to Galapagos. So one of those things, though, every plaza and every park that we went to in every city, there was a Roman Catholic church. You know, it's interesting because you can drive through the Baptist Belt or Bible Belt in Florida or even many parts in the, well, throughout the U.S. And you can see Baptist church or some kind of gospel preaching church, a Bible church somewhere. But in Ecuador, you drive and drive and there's nothing. And when you get to a plaza, there's a Catholic church, large, all the money being poured into it. And then we drive through small little villages in the middle of nowhere, and there would be two Jehovah's Witnesses with their magazines or a Kingdom Hall or a Mormon church as well in the middle of nowhere in these little villages. Seeing that put a burden on my heart, thinking all these other religions have come in, and where are the true Christians? And the Lord used that to burden my heart for the country. I remember one night going out in La Libertad, there on the coast. And it was about 11 o'clock. And uh, because of the excitement of being there and all, my friends and I, we weren't tired. So we said, let's just wander the city. There's nightlife, people out and about. Let's just wander around markets. And so we did. We went walking around. And so I, we were like, hey, we, maybe we can find someone we can witness to. So we walked over to the harbor area. And sure enough, there's a security guard there. And went over and we... Uh, began to witness to the security guard. I was, uh, myself and the other guy out of, of the four of us were the only two that spoke Spanish, so we witnessed to him. And after witnessing to him, we didn't ask him if he wanted to be saved. Instead, we walked away. <laughs> and uh, after we're walking away, he literally came up to us and said, um, well, what am I supposed to do with what you told me about? And I said, that's a great question. <laughs> And uh, we showed him how he could be saved, and he did. He knelt down and received Christ as a Savior. But then afterward, he asked us, he said, so where's your church? Who, who do you affiliate with? We told him, well, we're independent Baptists. Where's your Baptist church? Uh, we don't know of one here. We did some research, and there was not one church in the city, not one. And it, we began, that was on the beginning of the week, and towards the end of the week, we, we noticed the same trend. We go city to city. And we, we'd lead someone to the Lord, or we'd witness someone, and they'd ask us, where's your church? We've never heard this before. We'd research, and not a single church in their city. 400,000, 200,000 uh, people in the city, and not one single church. And you know, the Lord used that to burden my heart for the need, because the Ecuador is so barren when it comes to churches, and it's got so many other religions. A lot of them believe in Roman Catholicism. I was telling pastor today, they believe in it, but also... They believe what their Joseph's witnesses have taught them. 
They believe that hell isn't real and Jesus isn't God. And they believe in speaking in tongues and Pentecostal doctrine. Because they're open to anything. They're an open people. If you want to get in and start a church in Ecuador, you could do it. We, we were there in 2019 for 10, I was there for 10 months, helped with the church plant. Our first Wednesday, we had one person. By the next week, we were growing, and after two months, we outgrew the place and had to move to a different building. Two months later, three months later, it, it's an open place. You can start a church. But because it's open, they also accept any other false doctrine if the right people don't get them before the others do. So it's a needy country. Pray for us. Uh, we're excited to get there. We'll be uh, looking at working there for six months to a year with him. There's already a young couple that's there. Got there January. And kind of as a team, we'll work together for a little while. And then we'll go to our own cities and start our own works. Manta is specifically one of the cities I'm really praying about. It's got 400,000. It's a port city. Sometimes an American ship will come up right to it with medical supplies. And so because of it, people come in and out, a lot of fishermen there. So that's a city personally on my heart. There's a couple other cities, La Libertad and Cuenca, uh, we're praying about. So pray for us as we get there. And we want to start as many churches as possible. Train men, start a Bible college, and have other churches planted as well as church planners. If you go with me tonight, Romans chapter number 10 will be our passage. You know, the Bible says, redeeming the times because the days are evil. Boy, have we seen this year how the days are evil. And, uh, you know, you're seeing right now with Israel and Hamas, and you can see different parts of the world how... There is a lot of evil, and the Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. The question is this, how are we redeeming our time as Christian? You know, Ecuador is an open country. It's got an open door, but doors don't stay open forever. At one point in time, Russia was an open country, and then the door closed. At, at one time, China was an open country, then the door closed. Countries, that there's open doors, but the time doesn't stay open forever. We have to take advantage, and now is the time to reach Ecuador uh, because the door is open, and we have to redeem our time because the days are evil. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 12. We would stand in honor of reading God's word, please. Romans chapter number 10 and verse number Says here, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Let's pray. Father, would you please bless your word tonight? Would you speak through me? Speak to our hearts, burden our hearts for missions. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Time is running short, and we know that the rapture is around the corner. The Lord is coming back, and we want to use our time wisely while we are here. And Romans chapter number 10 is one of those passages that many times we use for giving the gospel. You know, Romans 9 and 10, and uh, verse 9 and 10, and then verse number 12 and then 13 saying anybody can be saved. God doesn't say an elect few. It's, it's anybody that calls upon the Lord, anybody that believes in him. doesn't matter the age, the race, the person. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, anyone can get saved. Anybody can get the forgiveness of sins. But then here's where it gets personal. In verse number 14, he says, how, and he goes through a list of things. 
how shall they, what? Hear, call on him. How shall they believe? And how shall they hear? That's where it gets personal for us. The duty as a Christian. It's interesting because in verse number 12, it starts out saying what? For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. It's funny because Paul writing this book to some Christians in Rome, and many of them were probably Jews. And they probably thought, well, there is a lot of difference between the Jews and Greeks. It's like someone writing a letter here and saying, uh, there is no difference between New Mexicans and New Yorkers. They're both the same in culture, talking. It's the things that are different between the North and the South, right? And they probably, well, we Jews believe in the one true God. The Greeks, they believe in many gods. The Jews, they don't eat bacon for breakfast. The Greeks do. So there's cultural differences. Traveling around to different, many different countries, there's many different things you notice, and that is that cultures are different. Food is different. Hygiene is different. And one of those things that I, I, I failed the test as a missionary, but I thought was very different in Ecuador was this drink called chicha. And I think that I talked about it this morning in, in school. What it is, if you know what yucca root is, which I've seen some things about yucca here, so I think anybody would know yucca is, it would be here. And it's a vegetable, though, that the older ladies will gather around, and they'll chew it up, and then they'll spit their saliva into a bowl until it fills up with their saliva. And once it's in the bowl, it is fresh out of the mouth to be served into the mouths of other people. <laughs> and uh, it's a drink that my wife tried. I did not try it. But if you're with me... I would take a Dr. Pepper from McDonald's any day over chicha, right? Come on, if, if it's a bottle of chicha or Dr. Pepper, hands down, Dr. Pepper. And the thing is, it's different. There's cultural differences. I was talking to a lady in the back from Philippines, and uh, I had the chance to go to the Philippines a few times with my wife, and I love the Philippines. Honestly, it's probably one of my most favorite countries outside of Ecuador. It's right next to Ecuador. Very open people and the culture friendly. But they served me something that I was not too big on called balut. And what it is, it's a fermented duck. The feather's already coming out. The beak's already being formed. And I swallowed the first part, and then the second bite, everything and more from yesterday came out with it. I couldn't hold it in. My wife held it in better than I did. But that's different. Those are different things. I would take french fries over balut. Those are different things. And my, my father-in-law does a lot of mission work in India. One of those things that he spoke of about India was their hygiene. Their hygiene is very different. They don't shake with their left hand for a reason. Um, they, they wash their clothes in the same river that they drink out of and throw their trash into and everything else. And one of those things was they were eating at someone's house, and he brought the appetizer out. They ate the appetizer. Then he had to use the restroom, went up to the outhouse. When he got to the outhouse, opened the door. On the floor around the toilet were the entrees. They were about to eat with flies on top. Difference in hygiene, right? Cultural differences. And so Paul says here there's no difference between Jew or Greek. What's he talking about here? Go with me to Psalms chapter 49. Psalms 49. We're going to see how God views souls, people. Here in chapter 49, in verse number 6, it says, 
They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God, what? A ransom for him. Now there's certain religions that believe, well, you could pay for souls to be moved out of hell and into purgatory and up to heaven or those things. You know, imagine if, if we could get people out of hell by raising in the love offering tonight. All right, we're going to get so-and-so out for $1,000. Let's pass the plate around. But we know it doesn't work that way, right? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Can't be done with money. Why is that? Because the Bible says here that what? Verse 8, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. God sees souls as being precious. Every individual soul on this planet, over 7 billion, every one of them is precious in God's eyes. But how do we see them? My wife and I have only been married 7 months, newlyweds. And one of those things that she likes to do, and I'll take her out, is to go shopping. A lot of times not even to buy anything, just to look. And as a guy, I don't understand that. If I'm going to go, I'm going to grab what I wanted, I'm going to get out of there. And my wife, but she likes to look through things. So we go to the outlet malls or a mall or a thrift store or Goodwill, and we'll look through clothes. And what she does is she'll look and see a shirt or skirt she likes and ask me, do you like it? And, oh, yes, honey, I like it. As soon as she hangs it up, what's the first thing I do? I check the price tag. Now, she's worth every penny I have. I'll pay anything for her. But I still check the price tag, right? We all do that. We all shop. And who in here does not check the price tag on an item you want? Who in here just, oh, I like it. I'm going to put it in the cart. I don't care the price. I personally, I check the price tag. You look, check the price tag. Why, why is that? Because we want to see if it's worth our time and our money. But with souls, we can't do that. And subconsciously, sometimes I catch myself putting a price tag on someone's soul. Souls are priceless. I can't pick and choose who I'm going to witness to or who I'm not going to witness to. You know how I do that? Oh, I'm going to witness to him, but now nah, he looks busy. I don't want to bother him. He looks mad. I don't want to make him angrier. Uh, he's a little smelly, and I don't want to go smell him. Um, she doesn't look like she speaks English. It might be a little awkward because I can't speak her language. And, and we do those things, and automatically uh, we pass people up, picking and choosing like we're shopping, putting a price tag on someone's soul. When the Bible says that their souls are precious, it is priceless. Every soul is precious to God. You know, in Austin, there's a homeless crisis. Under every bridge, there are encampments. I think at this point, they have their own postal service that drops mail off to them in their own mailboxes. It's so bad. You get needles there and stuff. And, you know, sometimes in my human self, I'll go witness anywhere else, but I'll pass by those places and, and not stop to talk to them. But God sees those people just as valuable as anybody else. They're all souls. How do we see people? Do we see them through the lens of compassion? Every one of them is a soul. Secondly, we see here in, go back with me to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. It says here in verse, um, if I get there, Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not what? Believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not? Heard. In Bible college, many times we study the different religions and cults. There's some strange religions out there. Now, I was in China a couple times, and one of those times in China, uh, we were walking up to this mountain, and we got to the very top. When we got to the top, there was a Buddhist temple. And we were walking to the Buddhist temple, and I, the, the entrance of the door had this big old log. And I stepped on the log and stepped over, and immediately the lady that was there said, Oh, you just stepped on Buddha's foot. Please don't step on that wood there. It's Buddha's foot. I was like, Oh, does a spirit foot reside there or something? It was odd. And then I walked up and the table, there's all this money and stuff and fruit that they laid on the table. They believe in their Buddhism. Now, I could easily think, that is crazy. Buddha's foot? That's a piece of log I stepped on. But the Bible says what? How shall they believe in whom they have not? That Buddhist has never heard about Jesus. How about the Hindus? Over 30 million gods. I remember being in Guyana, and there in Guyana, there's a lot of Hinduism. And we, we got on this boat, and we, we got over onto this island. We got out to the island. I remember uh, walking onto it and sinking knee-deep in the mud. I'm a city slicker all the way. I didn't bring a backpack. All the other guys brought backpacks. I brought a carry-on suitcase. And I'm chugging through this mud with a carry-on suitcase, Mr. Missionary going to Guyana. And when we get up to the island, we set up hammocks. And uh, I remember I can't sleep on my back. So we're trying to sleep. And I, I thought, man, i got to get on my stomach. So I flipped over in the hammock in my stomach. You know what happens when you put yourself on your stomach in a hammock at 45 degrees? You're stuck for a while <laughs> trying to flip back over. Well, the sun finally came up, and people started coming in to go to church. And we were witnessing many people, but many of the kids I witnessed to were Hindus. And I tell them about Jesus, and they, oh yeah, amongst all their other gods, they worshiped elephant-headed God, among many other crazy deities. Well, why is it they believe in those things? Because what, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? I could easily criticize those people and say, well, I can't believe they're something that crazy. It's because they're just dumb. They're not thinking. They're not logical. No, it's because they've never heard anything else. If I grew up that way and never heard about Jesus, I'd probably believe the same thing they do. You know, these other countries where there's Islam and there's oppression, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And that's why the next verse here says what? At the very bottom it says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now in this context, preacher is anyone with the message. We could read the word preacher and say, Oh, it's talking about a pastor, a, a bishop, a missionary, an evangelist. But in this context, it's anyone with the message. Who has the message? If you have the message, then you're the preacher. But you must deliver it. What good is the message if it never gets delivered? No, I, I grew up in, in Mexico doing some karate for a couple years and martial arts. And my professor was Catholic, and I knew he didn't know about the Lord. And God put it in my heart to witness to him as a 10-year-old boy. So one day I brought my duffel bag in with a gospel track inside. And between my class and the next class, we had about an hour. Or an hour, sorry, 10 minutes. And in those 10 minutes, I wanted to give him a track. I wanted to talk to him. And I didn't. One day, I walked down to the little store, and, and my friends were there that did karate. And 
They said, Chris, you hear what happened to Professor? No, he died on a motorcycle last night, going 100 miles an hour over a speed bump. But God convicted me that day. He said, you should have witnessed to him. I could think maybe I had given a track and he would have not gotten saved. He would have rejected Christ. But I didn't even give him the opportunity to reject or receive Jesus Christ. I felt as being the preacher, the messenger, giving him the message. This reminds me of a story. If you go with me, Genesis 18, and we'll finish. Genesis chapter number 18. How shall they hear without a preacher? How will your neighbor hear without you? Giving them the message. How will your family member hear about Jesus without you giving them the message? How will your friend, you put it in the blank, how will they hear without you? What if you are their only hope and their only chance of getting the gospel? How are they going to hear? How will they believe in Jesus unless they hear about him? Who here has heard about the Lord? Countless times. Imagine those that have never heard the gospel one time. Not one time. There are a lot of people around the world that have never heard the gospel, not even one time. And how will they ever believe in Christ unless they first hear about him? You know, see, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse number 23, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Verse 26, and the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will what? Spare all the place for their sakes. How many of you guys would like it if your prayers were answered that fast? Abraham's like, Lord, please, why, why was he praying for Sodom? Because he had family there he's concerned for. And he said, God, please, would you please spare Sodom? And God answered immediately, yes, I'll spare for 50 people. Man, I would love it if I say, God, I need, oh, right there, that fast. If our prayers were answered that fast, that would be awesome. When it came to souls in this city, God said, yes, I'll spare it. So then Abram proceeded to talk him down to less people. And how many did he talk him down to? Ten. God, for ten people, would you please spare the place? Did God spare Sodom? Would he have for ten? Yes. But were there ten there? No. Now Lot was there. Lot sat in the city. Did Lot know about God? Yes, Lot knew about the true and righteous God. The Bible says that that city vexed his righteous soul. He, he knew about God. But you know what? He wasn't a faithful messenger. What's the difference between Jonah or Nineveh and Sodom? Nineveh had a preacher. A very unhappy, bad attitude preacher. But it still had a preacher. Did Sodom have a preacher? No. That's the difference. You know why Nineveh repented and changed? Because they had a preacher who told them about God. Sodom did not. In fact, if you go with me to Genesis chapter 19, and in verse number 4, here's what's interesting. It says, But before they laid down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they all called unto who? Lot. Did they know him by name? They knew who Lot was. Here's my question for you tonight. Do the people you pass at work, 
at your Starbucks or wherever it is, do they know who you are and do they know you're a Christian? Have you been a faithful messenger to those who you pass by? Or have we been guilty of being closed-mouthed Christians? Living like they do. They would never tell them a Christian. You know how even if Lot, even if he tried to warn them, they wouldn't listen. You know why I know that? Oh, in verse 12 it says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, What? Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He was living just like them. Why should they believe him? Here's the other question. Are we living in such a way that we can be a faithful messenger? People's souls depend on it. Hell is real. As much as we want to not think about hell and how horrible of a place it is, the reality is hell is real. And it waits sinners that don't trust Jesus Christ. It's an eternal place. There is no exit. There are people that we pass by every day that depend on it. And what if they never hear the gospel unless you personally be the one to give it to them? You know, if my karate teacher is in hell today burning, it is most likely my fault. You know why? Because I wasn't a faithful messenger. The Bible says that life is a what? A vapor. It appeareth for a little while and then what? Vanisheth away. It's fast. Boy, we've been married seven months I feel like it was just yesterday. I, I can't believe how fast time flies. I thought as a kid I was never going to get married. Oh, it'll never come. Rapture's going to happen for the wedding day. I remember the wedding day of. I'm like, Lord, please don't let the rapture happen today. <laughs> Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And we're married. I made it. And then I say, Lord, please let me get to Ecuador and start a church before the rapture comes. You know, life is a vapor. Time flies. But we use that verse a lot of times for witnessing to people and receive Christ before it's too late. And that's the same, that's good still for that way, but also for us Christians. How are we using our lives? I had a missionary say something one time that made an impact on me. He asked this question. He said, how long have you been saved and what has your life produced? How long have you been saved and what has your life produced? What are we doing with our life? It goes by this fast. Looking back, what will we have done with our life for the Lord? Are we faithful messengers? Every soul is precious in God's eyes. But do we see them that way? Do we see people around us as precious, priceless? Or do we pick through and say, price tag, no, not worth my time. Because in God's eyes, everyone, everyone's precious. Everyone's worth it. Are we faithful messengers? Let's pray. God.